Hi, everybody. This is Kara Fitzgerald. New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is here every month, bringing you the best minds in functional medicine. And we would not be able to do this over the years without the generous contributions from our sponsors, Metagenics, Integrative Therapeutics, and Biotics Research. The mission of Metagenics is to lead the movement in making personalized nutritional intervention the standard of care in the treatment and prevention of disease and the promotion of optimal health. For over 30 years, Metagenics has been dedicated to scientific discovery, innovative products, unparalleled quality, education, and practitioner partnerships to support lifestyle functional nutrition. For more information, visit Metagenics at metagenics.com. Biotics Research. For four, over 40 years, the foundations of biotics research has been innovation and quality. Their goals remain unchanged. Innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts, and product development with advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques. Biotics nutritional products are of superior quality and effectiveness and available exclusively to healthcare professionals. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Integrative Therapeutics is focused on inspiring a better lifestyle through better health. By providing meticulously formulated nutritional supplements and valuable resources, Integrative Therapeutics promises to enrich your patients and embolden your practice. Welcome to your Integrative Therapeutics. Find them at integrativepro.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. I am very honored and just thrilled to be sitting here with my uh, dear friend and mentor for years, Dr. Patrick Hannaway. I want to read his full background to you before we jump into our conversation, because I, it, not only is it important to our talk today, but what uh, Patrick has been doing and it continues to do for functional medicine, I think is important and impressive. And I just, I just want to highlight some of that. Uh, so he's board certified in, in family, um, family medicine. He trained at Washington University. Um, he's served on the executive committee for the American Board of Integrative Medicine. Um, he was past president, or is past president of the American Board of Integrative Holistic Medicine. For more than 20 years, he's been working with his wife, um, doc, Dr. Lisa Lichtig, in clinical practice uh, in Asheville, North Carolina, and they just continue to do that to this day. He was the CMO at Genova Diagnostic for, for a decade, and then he became the uh, Chief Medical Education Officer at IFM. Uh, many of you probably met him during that time. Uh, he oversaw the development and implementation of many of the programs that we teach, um, and he's also taught with IFM since 2005. So he's been a, just a fundamental player to the evolution and, and just radical expansion of functional medicine across the globe. Uh, in 2014, he worked with Dr. Mark Hyman to develop the collaboration between IFM and Cleveland Clinic, where he was the founding medical director, then research director at the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. Um, he's currently a research collaborator there. Uh, Oftentimes, you'll hear Patrick present at either IFM AIC or PLMI, um, the Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute, on the research that they're doing over at the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. And it's, it could be a whole, it's a whole nother podcast. It's a whole nother conversation. But we can link to the, the JAMA Network publication, the first publication that I think that they, they put out. And I know there are more publications to come just really showing what functional medicine is is capable of doing. Uh, in 2018, Dr. Hannaway was diagnosed with stage four laryngeal cancer, and his life has been transformed through functional and integrative approach, uh, including nutrition, shamanic healing, acupuncture, herbs, prayer, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, community support, spending time in nature, and love. Uh, recent medical uh, assessments demonstrate no evidence of disease, and life continues to be filled with uncertainty. The primary focus of, of Dr. Hannaway's work is to leverage his skills and knowledge to transform medical practice through education, research, and clinical care. Importantly, uh, Patrick was initiated in 2009 as a Mara Akami, you can let me know if I said that right, Patrick, um, indigenous healer by the 
Cuchillo people, and you can correct me there, um, of the Sierra Madres in Mexico. He holds community fires, leads ceremonies, and offers traditional healing sessions. Dr. Hanaway, welcome to New Frontiers. Kira, thank you so much. Um, Mara, Mara Kame. Marakame is the name in the Wedatica people, uh, the Huichol people of the Sierra Madres. Uh, one who knows, and I don't really know, but it's, uh, you know, trying to walk with uh, feet in both worlds. And, you know, it's, it's, I've heard this introduction and, you know, it's funny to me because um, I'm sitting here actually crying um, because all the aspects of, of what I've done in functional medicine and integrative medicine and work and clinical. And then it's like this, this memory of, uh, of being diagnosed with cancer and the work that uh, is really changing, changing um, my life. And it's just, it's, it's, it's more full and it's more alive. And it's, and it's what we're going to talk about today. I think at least some of it. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, Wow. I, like we've known each other, I don't know, 13, 15 years. I'm honored to think that you consider me to be a mentor of sorts um, because I consider you just to be a colleague and someone who's bringing, you know, this both enthusiasm and intelligence and discernment and wisdom, you know, to how do we apply this in a bigger way? So I'm a big Kara Fitzgerald fan and I'm just uh glad to be here with you in this conversation. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's just really lovely. Oh my goodness, Dr. Hanaway. Ah, yeah, very lovely. It is. It's great to be with you. And it is, it's just, it's an honor to get to move this paradigm forward, to be a part of birthing this paradigm into the world. Mm -hmm. You've always been one of the most authentic humans out there, you know, regardless of what hat you were wearing, what impressive lecture you were delivering, what research you were involved in, you've been extremely authentic. And I would imagine that comes from your spiritual practice, but at least in part, um, but you know, you were diagnosed with cancer. I remember PLMI right before your diagnosis, you know, getting to hang out with you a little bit and just here I am reflecting on, you know, when you were diagnosed, just thinking about that last time that we had hung out a little bit and it was, I, th I don't know, I don't think that you actually knew then. Oh, no. no. And, and just wondering, like, how are you feeling? You seemed busy, but we're, we're all, we were all, we're all burning the candle excessively. You did have a lot going on. You were talking about your research. But what I, I want to point out, I, I want to hear about that, that transition into the diagnosis and what you did. I think we all want to know because, you know, cancer is ubiquitous and it's also the great unknown and it's scary. So I want to know that piece. But I also want to say that if it's possible, your authenticity has, your presence you've shed something so profoundly in your journey of recovering from, of submerging into and then recovering from cancer. I mean, and who you are today is more authentic and transformed. And I, and I wanna talk about all of that and spend some time in the science. So hopefully we can do that in 15 minutes. <laughs> okay, yeah. go, go. That'll be a journey. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I've, it's, I've said to patients for 30 years, you know, cancer is about transformation. You know, that is, it's the invitation. It's like something needs to change in your life. You know, and if we look at it, you know, cancer is growth out of control. And, and so what in your life is growth out of control at this point in time and, and growth out of control that is not allowing you to bring your own vision, purpose and meaning, you know, to life. How are you not doing that? And in my case in particular, um, you know, it's, it's sitting in the throat, you know, on the mm. left airy epiglottic fold, you know, it's a laryngeal cancer. So yeah. to be esoteric, it's, you know, the, it's the fifth chakra, like what is not being expressed in a way and, you know, having integrity and authenticity is important. And, and like, how was I not speaking? What was the truth in my heart? And that was part of the, of the question. And you talk about, uh, you know, it's a fascinating, I, I remember that, uh, that, that PLMI 
meeting in Seattle and our, no, that one, that wasn't one was actually in Arizona. Chicago. Oh, Arizona. Okay. And, and, um, it's funny because I, I spoke about, uh, I had been diagnosed like eight months before with, uh, with a, a central retinal vein occlusion. Um, and, that was related to weight gain and insulin resistance. You know, I've lectured on this, I know about this, but it's like I was living a life of travel and movement and not caring for myself in a way. And I began to do that and I spoke about that. And on the way back, it so happened that I ended up being seated next to my friend and colleague and mentor, David Perlmutter, you know, on the, on the plane, you know, we were like on a four hour plane flight together, sitting next to each other. And we just got to visit and he talked about how, you know, Patrick, you're, you're authentic. You're not being the, 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 the guru, the knowledgeable one, you're actually speaking from personal experience and allowing people into your lives. And that is what is necessary. And he said that to me at that point in time. And that was what would be end up being some four, maybe four and a half weeks before my diagnosis of cancer, you know, and then, and then moving forward, being at home and, and having a, an event, you know, we have events uh, in our home in the Smoky Mountains uh-huh. uh, and on our land. Uh, and we had two uh, indigenous elders from Canada, uh, from Manitoba, uh, Dakota elder, uh, who we'd sponsored before. And they were here and we were with them and they were living with us. And we had people. And the one night I felt this lymph node on my left neck and I'm like, and it was hard and firm and it did, it wasn't tender. And I'm like, Uh. excuse my language, but as you know, like, Oh fuck. And, and I was so scared that I didn't tell anybody. I didn't even tell my wife and I called and I made an appointment to be seen. They were leaving on Sunday and everyone was leaving on Sunday. And as soon as I could get in was Monday and I made an appointment on Monday to be seen, you know, by the ENT doctor. And it was like, and I knew, and I was afraid to even talk about it, um, to even let these people know and my, my wife know. And it wasn't until everyone left in that night before I said, um, I got to go to the doctor tomorrow. And, and that was Monday and, you know, and he did an aspiration and we got the path back on Tuesday night that said, you know, squamous cell, you know, squamous cell cancer, you know, obviously it's a met, it's in lymph node. We didn't know where it was from. Get a PET scan on Wednesday, um, next morning. And, you know, fortunate because we're doctors, you know, and being able to maneuver through the system very quickly and do that. And it's like, oh, it's on the left area, epiglottic fold. And there are, you know, four lymph nodes on the left that are all positive and, and several on the right that may be positive, you know, clearly stage four laryngeal cancer. And this is the day before Thanksgiving. And then the next day, you know, sharing it with our two sons who are in their, you know, mid, mid twenties about this on Thanksgiving day. And that was like the beginning of the journey. And that part of that was like saying, was me embracing. It's like, this is transformation. I'm going to do what I need to do to make changes. And we'll talk about that journey, um, which included a lot of different things. And, you know, the, the, one of the biggest pieces that I, I want to talk about is, is nutritionally what happened. You know, I'm, I'm aware of those. I was aware of those things, but I just deepened into an understanding of how to work with it. And it was not the only thing. It was one of many, many aspects of the, of the healing process. So, yep. I want to go there and I want to talk about it, but I just, I mean, you, I, I understand the impulse to want to hide. And I'm sure a lot of the clinicians listening to this, would absolutely understand that and just being so terrified and then kind of and then it sounds like you you surrendered and there was a there was a a transformation that happened it sounds sounds like it was relatively 
relatively quick. Well, it was, and um, well, and it's still going on. So it was yeah. both uh, um, one of recognizing I need to ask for help. Yes. Um, and you've you've seen me, Kara. I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm strong. I can handle this. You know, yeah. give it to me. Pile it on. I got yeah. it. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's actually not that. It's everything but that. It's be vulnerable, receive, ask for help. And that was hard to do and, uh, and absolutely necessary. So that was all part of the inner journey and being able to move through each step of that. So I am, uh, I was during the time I was doing a preparation, a one month preparation to be able to go on pilgrimage in Mexico to a sacred, to a sacred site that I've been to many times before. And, uh, and I asked the, the oncologist and I, and I asked, you know, who's someone I've known for 20 years. And I asked the ENT doctor, I'm like, if I'm gone for like 10 days, two weeks, is that going to make a difference? And they're like, Nope, not at all. Go ahead, do what you want to do. We'll, we'll be getting things prepared. And so I went on this journey and Lisa, my wife was with me. She was, she also is a, an initiated um, traditional healer of Marakame. Um, I say, I blame her. I say, you got me into this in the first place. Um, but uh, so we went and the, and when we went there and we were with some other people, other, other healers and, uh, and I asked the teacher and he said, you know, you've been praying for transformation and change in your life. Wow. And, uh, and here it is. It's not the way you thought it was going to look, but here it is. Wow. And it's like, it, it spoke deeply to me, like, yes, that's true. And what do I need to do to transform, to use this as a place of transformation? And we'll, we'll talk about those things. And, and that was helpful. Um, that journey was helpful. The deepening, the asking for help um, of my, my, my colleagues there. And also then, um, you know, the, the next part of the journey, it was like, you know, really radiation therapy really chemotherapy like i do i believe in those things are those good things and yet when someone holds their you know kind of remember that that meme from maybe the late 90s you know early 2000s speak to the hand you yeah. know it's like the hands right in front of you it's like oh stage four cancer i've joked i've said if they told me it was stage two cancer i probably been like eh, no problem i got this you know but they say stage four cancer like oh geez I better really pay attention here. Um, and everyone I spoke to and, you know, had the great opportunity to speak to leaders mm-hmm. around the world about this. And they all said the same thing. This is what you need to do. And I didn't really want to do it, but I said, look, I'm going to do everything I can. Yes. And then to have, you know, colleagues, you know, say, oh, that's the wrong thing. You shouldn't do that. That was really hard. You know, and nutritionally, like, you know, moving forward and I'd, I'd done, you know, work with, uh, with L-Nutra and Prolon mm-hmm. and metabolic changes and I'd done work, you know, I mean, I know those people, I know that research really well and I'd done work with doing keto and, you know, I dropped 30 pounds and, you know, was in great shape and insulin resistance was gone. And, you know, I'm like, I'm in good shape coming into this. And it's like, okay, well maybe, you know, okay, keto, keto and cancer, you know, the metabolic basis of cancer and Tom Seafried and Dom D'Agostino and, you know, Nasha Winters. And it's like, okay, I'm going to reach out to those people. I'm going to connect and I'm going to do that. And I did. And I jumped into it in a deep way. And we will talk about that. But I also want to just acknowledge that um, it is a it's not for everybody, but B, it's also not like that. Every cancer does not have a, 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 a insulin resistance based glucose driven process. Some cancers do, some don't. I'm fortunate that the cancer that I had and the treatment using radiation therapies is specifically susceptible to and benefits from a ketogenic approach. But I had no idea of that at the time when I called Tom and talked to him, when I called Dom and talked to him, when I made decisions of what I was doing, um, 
I got lucky. Yeah. But you know, as they say, luck, luck favors those who are prepared. Yeah. Listen, let me just, I want to jump into what you did in, in the nutrition end, but you, I remember you put out kind of an APB to everybody to just ask ideas, but so you really, you know, you, you kind of surveyed the land and you are, of course, you know, you're in a good position to be able to do that. Um, but there are research resources now for regular people. I'm thinking of, you know, tripping over the truth or Tom mm -hmm. Seyfried is, mm -hmm. I've got a, a, a podcast with him. I've got a podcast with, with, yeah, with the, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. And, and, and so for folks just checking in here, there are resources for you. Um, if, even if, if you're not a physician, um, to help tease out your cancer type, or if you're thinking of a friend or a loved one or whatever, that we, where you can kind of uh, pull together an approach. And I want it. So you did that, and you ended up designing your care team, and you had to just make a call. So even as you had colleagues disagreeing with your choices, you had to just kind of let those go and walk forward with what with what you and your family were determining. You and your, and I'm sure your wife was you know, that you were in really intimate yeah. communication and you just. And, and it's in uncertainty, right? I mean, you don't yeah. know the absolute truth of what's going on. And so you're, you know, it's, it's a part of gathering information and then, and then, and then sifting through it and synthesizing it and then making a decision and going forward, yeah. knowing that there's uncertainty in the process. But, you know, it's like, uh, you know, so to just state, you know, the most common cancers that are going to be associated with insulin resistance are going to be breast cancer, colorectal cancer, endometrial cancer, pancreatic cancer, glioblastoma multiforme, and then the, the cancers that are treated with radiation therapy, uh, primarily with adjuvant chemotherapy, which are going to be head and neck cancers and anal rectal cancers. Those are going to be the grouping that are like their best to be able to take a really strong you know, insulin sensitization, ketogenic, you know, do what you can with those. I, I'll have to say for the rest, we don't know as much data, yeah. but for those, yeah, that's, that's a really clear thing that I think, yeah, going for it and doing that. And then, you know, and making that decision and talking to, to Dom, talking to Tom, yeah. you know, making a decision of like, okay, I, I need to be tube fed um, because they're going to be irradiating my throat such that I may not be able to swallow food in the same way. And, you know, the thing they don't tell you is that like, Oh, and when that happens, um, you're going to lose all your taste. And it was like, it, 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 for me, it had less to do with not being able to swallow and more that like, you know, when you can't taste anything, it's really hard to eat a ton of calories. Yeah. Like your metabolic requirements go up, you know, it's 28, 3000 calories a day that you got to be taking in to meet the, the caloric needs to not lose weight and doing that with like uh, eating ketogenic and not being able to taste anything. Huh. That's kind of, that's kind of hard to do. So I had a, a tube put in uh, a feeding tube put in and, uh, I, you know, John weeks, you know, yeah. John, John's yeah. a friend. I've known John for 20. I've, I've, listened to John for 30 years. I've known him for 20 years and he had uh, head and neck cancer 10 years before me. And I just talked to him and he, he helped guide, you know, Lisa and I, and you know, he and Jeannie, you know, like they were there with us and he helped me to understand like how serious it was. Cause I was still like, oh, I'm scheduled to go to China, you know, 10 days after I finished chemotherapy. Yeah. That should be no problem. Mm. <laughs> Don't go to China for 10 days and teach. Yeah. And he's like, no, that's not going to happen. Um, your life is going to change. And he helped me and he helped me wow. with understanding about the, about, about getting a feeding tube. Mm -hmm. It ended up because I did so well that I didn't need it a lot. I used it a little, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't, you know, I had very few side effects because of my perception, you know, the ketogenic diet, the spiritual work that I did and fasting before chemo, uh, weekly chemo. I think all those things really decreased my side effect profile. And the doctors would be like, you're not acting like all of our other patients who come in here, you know, who are getting chemo and radiation. What? You know, and they knew what I was doing, but they're like, oh, maybe it's related. Maybe it's not. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it yeah. is. Maybe it's not. But uh, um, maybe if we share this with other patients, they'll not. 
there'll be there'll be outliers as well. Mm. As uh, my friend and, and sort of integrative oncologist Nalini Chokov, you know, in Santa Monica said, you know, we want you to be the healthiest cancer patient that you can be. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was my goal. And uh, there there it is. So I just wanted to say to folks that the you know the list of responsive cancers comprises really the top cancers that we're seeing probably you know you know breast colorectal endometrial glioblastoma pancreatic and then you mentioned head and neck and um well i said colorectal you mentioned another cancer type so it's a good chance that it's it's going to be a something that's keto responsive so I want to, I want you to, I just want to, if you can talk about the mechanism of why the ketogenic diet is good, you've already, you've mentioned it a little bit, but there's fasting, there's full tilt water fasting, there's fasting mimicking, there's caloric restriction, or there's actual keto, you know, isocaloric ketogenic. Mm-hmm. And th- can you just talk about what you did and how you came to that and any comments you want to make on the others and you know, what, what, what you, what you think? Sure. Well, let's, let's differentiate two pieces. One is the overall dietary approach of which um, a, a ketogenic approach, which is working on, uh, you know, a diet that is going to be, as you know, 80, 85% fat, 10 to 15% protein, um, you know, low carbs, you know, measuring, uh, BHBs, beta hydroxybutyrate, and being able to move into during that period of time nutritional ketosis, BHBs of of 0.8 to 2.0, and being in that range, that's the ketogenic diet, and that's the approach, and that's an important basis. And, and what's your sugar? Important basis at that time. Well, you know, it's fascinating, like wearing a, uh, a continuous glucose monitor. Mm-hmm. You know, my my sugars were like. 90 to 90 to 100 and they were they never changed over the course of the day in fact they were highest when i woke up in the morning they'd be 98 or 99 and then they just wouldn't move through the whole day uh you know like varying less than 10 points almost never going over 100 and even when i ate um in, in ketosis and hemoglobin A1C, which started at 5.7 and finished at 5.0, um, you know, through the process of it, you know, so what we see with a, a, with a ketogenic diet is that, you know, we're moving through beta oxidation, we're, we're working with, you know, the, the fatty acid uh, input into the, the Krebs cycle rather than carbs. And we don't want to have too much protein because protein can actually move us excess protein. You know, the people who I think paleo means I'm going to eat like, you know, 50% protein. Yeah. No, that's, that's not going to allow you to be in ketosis. So when I work clinically, it's like, it's all of the answer is look at your BHB. If your beta hydroxybutyrate is in a, is in ketosis, then you're doing it right. If it's not, you're not doing it right. And let's figure out why. And so what we find is that, you know, the, the Warburg effect, you know, where there is um, aerobic glycolysis. There's plenty of oxygen around, but the cancer cells are choosing to use glucose to break down rather than the oxidative phosphorylation pathway. And so that's a that's a that's an awareness that we have since, you know, Otto Warburg discovered that in 1924. Um, but we're, we're seeing that we want to lower the insulin levels. We want to increase the fatty acid levels. We want to reduce, you know, lactate concentration because that's going to slow tumor progression. And we find that the beta hydroxybutyrate is going to decrease inflammation. It's going to have an effect on improving innate immunity. It's going to decrease insulin and IGF-1. You know, the number of pathways that we can see this move through, you know, IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1, and insulin are going to stimulate, you know, proliferation and growth. And that when we reduce those, they're going to they're going to change that. There's there's going to be normal apoptosis and cell death that happens. And so this is part of what we're trying to do with a ketogenic approach. And Dom D'Agostino and Tom uh, Seafried and, and Nation Winters talk about this really eloquently in their books, and they can go into the details of it. And that's one aspect of it. And then the other aspect that, it is, especially as I've had you know, cancer patients 
um, since this time, you know, that, that I've, I've focused on, um, you know, I've also talked about what happens with fasting before chemotherapy, which is a different aspect. So first, yeah. you know, ketogenic for cancer, we know what we're doing is we're, we're recognizing that, that tumor cells, cancer cells are going to have mitochondrial abnormalities and they're not going to be able to use um, glucose and oxidative phosphorylation in a normal way. They're actually modifying the way in which they do that. And so we're leveraging that and saying, okay, let's don't go there. Let's don't give them glucose. Let's don't give them insulin. Let's don't give them you know, insulin potentiation. Let's don't give them IGF-1 elevations. Let's starve them in that way. That's the ketogenic approach. Now, in terms of when we start talking about fasting, uh, fasting is a different aspect and, and Walter Longo's work, you know, which started, you know, now we're talking about prolonged fasting mimicking diet and roles in relationship to cardiometabolic syndrome and diabetes and some cool new data on multiple sclerosis and autoimmune disease, you know, but originally it was built around chemotherapy and saying, Hey, can we actually create a differential stress resistance that's going on. Mm -hmm. Can we move in a way in which what we're, what we're doing is we're limiting the amount of substrate of glucose that's available so that the cells, let's say the cells of the gastrointestinal tract, the mucosa that turn over three to seven days, they are going to move into a relatively more dormant state. We're going to give a chemotherapeutic agent, which is going to attack the most fastest growing cells. And the, the cancer cells are going to be more susceptible and the other cells are going to be less susceptible. And that's what's talked about as the differential stress response. And so that, that process is what their original research in mice was based upon. And then they did some fasting studies uh, that were published in 2009 and then carried them forward. You know, so what's happening in the process of fasting is that there's less glucose and, and there's less IGF-1. And now we move through where autophagy, normal cell death, the process of, of cleansing, um, which is altered in cancer, actually begins to work more effectively. And we see then that chemotherapy, which is going to have an effect on, on creating DNA damage and increased reactive oxygen species, that is now actually um, able to be effectively stimulated and there is going to be more DNA damage that is going to occur for the cancer cells that are going on. So now we see that, that in the in the cancer cells, in the tumor environment, there is going to be an increase in autophagy. And we see that the overall, you know, increased sensitization to the chemotherapeutic agents and in the tumor microenvironment, um, we're going to see an increased cell death, but we're also going to see a decrease in the adverse effects that happen on the normal cells that are going on. You know, there's reduced glucose, there's reduced substrate, you know, there's reduced food, decreased availability. And so we have VEGF and IGF-1 and insulin and all going down at the time of chemotherapy happening. And so the, the delta between the adverse events to the normal cells and the toxic events that affects to the cancer cells are all happening at that time. And so We've seen studies that started in 2009 and that have, have carried through now into, uh, into the studies in 2015 and even a, a recent study that just came out in uh, Nature Communications uh, just last month that was looking at a fasting mimicking diet for neoadjuvant chemotherapy for breast cancer. Uh -huh. And what we find is that the patients who are able to move through and to fast, and in this case, 24 to 48 hours. There's sort of a little better effect at 48, but clearly an effect at 24 hours beforehand and during chemotherapy. And we talk about fasting, we're talking about 200 calories. We're talking about very limited uh, caloric intake, bone broths, etc. Okay. Okay. Um, and that those patients have decreased adverse effects and increased 
um, DNA damage that is done to the cancer cells. Now, we're not going to have the long-term effects on that, but if we're able to move through chemo and be able to do it in a way where it is not having the same kind of adverse effects, which you know happened for me, that's a huge win. And as we do that, what we're also doing is we're, we're encouraging no use of prednisone, no use of steroids, because we don't want to have that counter-regulatory effect of driving up glucose in the Absolutely. same way. Right. And so as we do that, and there's, you know, some, some good studies that have been done, you know, to be able to demonstrate this and the, the oncologist would say, well, that's a nice idea, but no one's going to do it. And I say, well, how about if we let the patients try it? And we find that in the studies that as patients are doing this, um, you know, I got a, a patient right now who is at 28 weeks pregnant with a stage um, two plus breast cancer, you know, who is getting chemo uh, at this point in time, you know, while she's pregnant and she's moving through fasting before her Q3 week chemotherapy and she's doing it without steroids and she's feeling good. You know, or the patient, you know, that, you know, someone, a colleague, uh, you know, a friend of ours, you know, reached out to me and said, you had a patient with a, a stage four colorectal cancer, you know, and he's moving through the chemo and he's been doing a ketogenic diet and fasting before chemo. And he's now his five centimeter tumor mass is now mucosal thickening and they may not have to do a surgical resection of the whole thing. It's like, there are some really cool things that these are opportunities. If we let's give people the choices that they want to do. And let's, if we can just decrease the toxic, the adverse events and the toxic effects of the chemo and we can optimize it and have the healthiest patients there. Well, that's a good thing. Let's do that. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Rather than of course, not just the glucocorticoids, but the sugary snacks that are kind of, shuttled around right oh my (laughs) (laughs) stunning stunning to see you know the the little little crackers in the in the you know six ounce cans of coca-cola and sprite to help you during your chemotherapy oh my god it's just so misunderstood so it's just profoundly misunderstood. I mean, they're really, they're just toxins. I mean, just listening to your story and thinking about them, I just, I shudder. It's just so, so, so wrong. Okay, so you did a full keto diet achieving, I know you use the Keto Mojo um, meter and mm-hmm. you you worked at hitting, you wanted to maintain somewhere between 0.8 and 2.5. And that was, that was between your, chemotherapy your rounds of chemotherapy and then for your chemotherapy you would do a full fast where you would consume around 200 or less of like a a good bone broth for and Mm -hmm. and um take uh exogenous ketones and you took oh good okay good i was gonna ask that they talked with with dom about it and would take uh, exogenous ketones uh, on the day of chemotherapy Uh, and you just tell me kind of nasty kind of hard to take but you know it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna do it and and so my my ketone levels would get up into the fours four four point five four point eight um while i was doing chemo as a means of trying to accelerate the process okay. um used uh i think i, I used a couple of products one that dom mentioned that i, I name i can't recall and a, a, a metagenics product um that were exogenous ketones to just help stimulate the process along is there is there evidence for that no okay it's theoretical but yeah. Okay, but why not? And uh, other n- than n- not that I'm aware of, I'll just say it that way. There may okay. be, but not that I'm aware of. But okay. it's, it's like, well, let me do the best I can, and Absolutely. we know that you know there are, you know, there's basically no sugars around for the for the cancer, you know, during that per- particular period of time. Yeah. No, it makes, it absolutely makes, makes, it makes sense. And then you're providing energy elsewhere because you're only intake, you know, you're, you're consuming 200 calories. So basically it was, it was food for your healthy cells, the exogenous ketones. Yeah. Um, all right. And so then you, you, that, so that was your core program, the, the inner work that you started and the foundation and your connection with your family. And this was your core approach um, initially, were there 
Oh, and then you're just talk about tube feed. You didn't have to do that a whole lot, but I do recall you talking about like your, you know, the formulas that you guys had to, had to kind of event. I think first of all, maybe some of the things that, some of the things Lisa made that you needed to actually take orally, but then you moved to feed tube. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, just quickly, I'm just curious Uh, what you were dumping in. Sardines, you know, you start, you start putting sardines in the Vitamix and then Uh trying to get them liquefied enough to be able to put them through a a narrow bore, you know, feeding tube, you know, a J tube. And, you know, I had to like warm them up and get them liquefied enough to be able to, to get in and, and, and it'd have to be like, okay, they got to get in in like 10 minutes. Otherwise they'll start to cool down and start to solidify. And, God. and I, it was just, it was kind of crazy at that point in time, but it was also, you know, there are, there are no good um, off the shelf ketogenic nutritional support. So I've got some patients who have, you know, cerebral palsy, who have a recurrent aspiration and who have J tubes and, you know, work with them and, you know, work with the uh, products like, um, uh, liquid hope and Kate farms and stuff like that. And, and there's just not really, you know, the, the best, the best products that, that we've seen, you know, uh, end up having what I'm just, I'm looking at them right here. Like, um, 30, 36% carbs, the best products, you know, are like 19% protein, 36% carbs, 45% uh, fats, you know, and so like, you're not anywhere near ketosis that way. Right. So you, you got to really make them and create them yourself and, and be able to do that. And so we did. Um, and that was just part of the experiment in the, in the journey along the way. And then there were, you know, I, I, I do want to touch on, you know, the, other kinds of nutritional support. Yes. You know, the, the questions that, that come in that, that say, well, you use antioxidants, you know, what's the role? And, um, you know, we took a pretty conservative approach where it's funny because I've, I've pushed against this for a long time. Um, and I think that really the whole foods approach is, is a key aspect. And I'm never going to tell people to not eat vegetables, you know, and, and whole foods because of the, any concern for antioxidants, but we did relatively limited um, antioxidants along the way, but did a lot of immune support. And then as soon as the chemo and radiation therapy were over, then moved into greater antioxidant support um, with a number of different, both uh, um, plant-based uh, antioxidants, as well as uh, you know, some of the, the, the new uh, tocotrienols and, and things of that nature oh, and, wow. and worked with, uh, um, Nalini Chilkoff, who's, a an acupuncturist in, in training, but has been working in the integrative oncology space for 30 years. And she was super helpful for me in being able to create some discernment and help to give me the kinds of uh, nutritional support that I needed in terms of different kinds of supplements. So what were some of the heavy lifters? What were some of the key supplements you used during chemo and then after? Um, well, mushrooms were a huge, huge piece um, early on, um, okay. and throughout the the chemotherapy and afterwards, uh, you know, working with uh, chaga, lion's mane, maitake, uh, reishi, um, you know, some of the, the Stamets uh, products, um, you know, great, great tools for helping the immune system to be able to unmask. Um, working, I'm, I'm trying to think through. Um, you know, the, the various components and I, I was going to put my, my list right in front of me and I don't have it. So I, I, you know what you can, um, you can just ping me with it and I can pop it on the show notes. People will, would love any, whatever, you know, if anything sure. comes yeah, to I'll mind. Just, no, I'll yeah. just, I'll just give you what, what Nalini's recommendations were to me. Okay, perfect. And, uh, and basically I followed it. I followed the whole thing, you know, as to a point where, you know, I was taking 60 pills a day. You know, and, and, you know, you know, there's, there's fish oils and there's curcuminoids and there's, you know, the, the mushroom based products. And then later on moving into more antioxidant approaches and, you know, higher doses of vitamin D and, you know, kind of all the usual suspects, yeah. um, but being able to support methylation along the way, 
um, you know, each of these things, some of them driven by specific uh, nutritional testing, you know, like uh, NutriVal and being able to look at, at IGF-1 and TGF-beta-1 and what's mm-hmm. going on and looking at D-dimers and, you know, being able to deeply understand the nutritional physiology and have targeted nutritional therapeutics. That was an important part of it as it has been in my career and, and the way in which I approach patients. It's not, yeah. it's not one size fits all. You know, we, we both recognize that, you know, the, you go to the, you go to the store, the one size fits all, it really doesn't fit anybody. Um, no one looks good in it, but the one size that is for you, the personalization, you know, so, um, you know, foundational nutrients, you know, would include, obviously, you know, as I said, the mushrooms and omega-3s and magnesium and vitamin D um, and uh, hanokiol, which is a Chinese magnolia bark, um, uh, was something uh, worked with butyrate to help with the gut uh, and being able to store that, work with that um, high, high doses of resveratrol, um, not the kind that you get from or capsules, um, but, but using powders to be taking like three grams of resveratrol a couple times a day. Um, you know, generally when you're getting a, you know, a resveratrol product, you're going to get like 200 milligrams of it. You know, yeah. you might take a couple of them three times a day, but you know, I was taking upwards of, um, three to six grams of resveratrol a day. Um, one of the questions you asked of me in the whole insulin resistance thing, and I, I looked at and I started taking um, metformin. It's like, okay, I can do okay. this. I, I've seen the data. I've looked at it. This is a good thing to take. And I started taking metformin. And, you know, I kind of went quickly from 500 to 1,000 milligrams a day. And at 1,000 milligrams, all of a sudden, like on the third day, I'm like, oh, I got diarrhea. Oh, I'm not tolerating this. Oh, this is the only thing I've changed. So I stopped it and it went away and I started again and it came back and I'm like, Oh man, this is, you know, I've, I've given this to patients for so long and I, and for me, it really had a negative effect and I wasn't able to tolerate it. So then I moved into, you know, taking berberine uh, and taking that like a thousand milligrams three times a day. And that I was able to tolerate really well. So not only does it have some microbial effect, you know, some gut microbial effect, but also the, the, also the, the insulin uh, sensitization effect it has, you know, was the reason why I was, I was taking that. So, you know, those were kind of the main things. And then I, you know, also took, um, she recommended and is knowledgeable in some Chinese herbs um, that would include, you know, scutellaria, uh, andrographis, astragalus, all immune stimulating things. We probably think of them more now from yeah. their effect on, on COVID, but right. uh, um, you know, all of them very effective. And so I, I took a, a, you know, kind of an anti-inflammatory immune support um, protocol around that and also took uh, a lot of red root. Um, uh, um, I don't know how to say the, the, the botanical name for red root, but I was taking that specifically to be able to support my blood um, and my my white count. And then, and since how, that were, time, how was your how were was your blood? How were your numbers? Um, actually, my white count is still low. Um, a year and a half out, um, with a white count of like three point one. You know, but looking at the neutrophil lymphocyte ratio and being able to optimize that, um, my my hemoglobin went down to about 32, or uh, hematocrit down to 32 at one point in time, um, but has come back okay and has been supported in that way and, you know, been looking at uh, copper chelation therapy, you know, needed mm-hmm. to get the the, the the red count back sufficiently before beginning uh, a... Um, a copper chelation approach and then also using using an approach that's like a, you know what might be called a, a pulsed uh therapy uh quarterly you know that works at at um, artemisinin um iv vitamin c um those are the things that i really focused on um we talked about IV curcuma and chose not to do that. So really, you know, focusing more on like a, uh, a scavenging therapy every three months with vitamin C and artemisinin and to do that. The other thing I wanted to speak about before, and I said, we could talk about this for hours, but um, I, 
I was also really aware that if this didn't work, I might need to use you know, some kind of immunotherapy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the, one of the fascinating things in talking with uh, one of the docs from, uh, from Johns Hopkins, you know, who's been working on this is that, uh, you know, it's pretty clear that the, the immunotherapy is going to be impacted by what's happening with the gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. And so how do you optimize the gut microbiome to be able to deal with these immune checkpoint inhibitors? Um, you know, whether it's PD-1 or CTL-4 and how to be able to ensure that whatever I'm doing, I'm actually working to optimize the diversity of my microbiome and being able to have that. And we're, we're beginning to really understand exactly what those interrelationships are. And it's partly where in, in my, my big view of looking at metagenomics and how we, we work with the gut microbiome, you yeah. know, we can see that, you know, increasing acromancia, increasing bacteroides, um, you know, increasing the, you know, fecalobacterium uh, presnutsi, uh, working with the decreasing the bacteroidetes. Um, these things are all very, very useful to optimize the microbiome in terms of being able to be um, activated properly for for immunotherapy. And if you have an altered microbiome and you don't have the diversity and you don't have those things, you're at, at, at a, an effect where you are going to have a decrease in the responsiveness and an increase in the toxicity of the immunotherapies. You know, so it's like, I found that just really fascinating because it, it again connects back to, well, the diet and nutrition and what's going on and how you deal with cancer therapy. So, you know, I think that we were probably both at a, uh, a, a presentation by, um, you know, Siddhartha Mukherjee at, mm-hmm. at PLMI back, you know, yeah. where he was really beginning to understand the interrelationship, you know, between chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and nutrition. Yeah. And it was really cool to be able to hear someone, you know, who's sort of at the top of his game recognizing, yeah. oh my gosh, the nutritional aspects and what's going on with the microbiome have everything to do with how these medications work and Mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah okay and he's been studying it he's been studying ketogenic diet do you know has he published on on it i know he had some at least one trial going he hasn't he's got a trial going and and um so it's uh the tibetans like to say this i've heard so this i've heard i haven't heard it from (laughs) him um and but what um what i was told was that he was trying to put together um, a, a research protocol that was looking at a ketogenic diet and fasting and immunotherapy and each of those aspects. And NIH said like, mm. there's no, there's no basis for this. And so he crowd, he crowdsourced it mm. and worked to get funding that way for a, a, pro, a protocol, a research project that he's working on right now. That's so I, I think it's, um, it's so cool yeah. that we're seeing that the systems-based approaches that we do with functional medicine, with taking yeah. the big picture, with looking at biological plausibility and how do we you know, optimize the benefit and minimize the risk to individualized therapies, actually, whoa, it makes a difference. And you know, so now I've had a number of patients who have come to me since I, I went back into practice that have said, Hey, can you help us with, help me with cancer? And it's like, look, I'm not an oncologist and I, I can't help you to pick out, you know, which chemotherapy is best for you. That's not my skill set. but how about if we work to make you the healthiest person possible going through however you choose to go through your treatment approach. And, uh, and I'm seeing some pretty amazing things happening with that. Man. That's so just, it's just very, very inspiring. I, I, I want, we need to remember to just ping Jeff Bland to see if he can ask uh, Siddhartha Mukherjee to come back <laughs> and speak again at PLMI. I, I would, I, it's just very exciting. Okay. So I want to go, I just want to, I want to fill in some gaps and then we're kind of on the home stretch, but I just have a couple questions. What, what was the, what were you attempting to achieve with the three grams of resveratrol, the mechanism? You know, I'm going to have to refer to Nalini okay. around no that problem. because, you know, it's really, this was, that was done after, um, you know, finished, uh, 
my, my chemo and radiation therapy. And so that was really focusing on a super potent yeah. antioxidant effect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you, as you know, I'm interested in DNA methylation. And of course, the tumor suppressor genes are all hypermethylated. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we sort of colloquial talk, we talk about these, these, these um, flavonoids as being uh, methylation adaptogens, which is a term coined by Michael Stone. I'll give, you know, mm -hmm. I'll give, give him credit for that. But resveratrol is, is one of those, you know, wonderkins. And so, you know, it makes, it makes sense from that hat just because I've been in that hat. But, um, okay, so that's question one. Question two is, you know, copper therapy. I know, so it's, 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 it's high in certain Chelation therapy. Yeah, yeah, copper, yeah. chelation for, cop, for high copper. Right, and so I just, right. I just wanted you to fill it in. It's high specifically in laryngeal cancers, correct? And mm -hmm. others. It can be, you know, but really the thing is, is that copper acts as an agent that stimulates angiogenesis angiogenesis, new blood vessel formation. Well, that's what cancers need to be able to grow, to be able to metastasize, to be able to okay. you know, move beyond what's there. And so we're looking at the, at the copper-zinc ratio all the time. Okay. And that, and that, so you're, we're going to use zinc and we're going to, that's going to be an important component to keep that copper zinc ratio in a good place. We're going to look at ceruloplasmin levels, which is going to be what your copper stores are. Mm -hmm. And we're going to want to keep your, your, your circulating um, copper levels. Um, that's going to be your, um, gosh, I, I have to go back and look. I think it's a, it's a plasma copper levels um, and in the lowest quartile and your ceruloplasmin levels in the lowest quartile and your zinc copper levels um, as high as you can get them. And so you um, were able to do that without having to actually chelate out copper. Well, I, I did that initially um, you know, through the whole process by, by focusing on zinc, which yep. can't actually start oral copper chelation until um, you have your, your red blood cell levels, um, your, 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 your hemoglobin and your hematocrit doing Back. well because copper chelation will cause anemia. Okay. And so you've got to actually have, and it took me almost a year to be able to get my my levels up to a point where I could even consider copper. Chelation. But do you need to? I mean, is your zinc copper ratio such that you're thinking about it, or is well, it preventative? Well, yeah, go ahead. It's preventative. Mine's okay. doing really well. You know, the the data. You know, Dwight McKee, who who was one of the, you know, grandfathers in the whole integrative oncology field, would say yes. that if we could if we can work to prevent a recurrence in this case, in a head and neck cancer, if we can prevent a recurrence for three years, then we can feel pretty safe that there's not going to be a recurrence that goes on. Got it. You know, and so, so using that kind of tool uh, in the post-chemotherapy, once your H&H is high enough to be able to do oral copper chelation, and it's monitored, um, that that is a great tool to be able to help mitigate long-term risk. Got it. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, all right. So I've got two more questions for you. I want to know just, was this, I want to know, well, I'm going to ask you both and you can, you can pick how you want to answer it. Was it, was this hard? Was this protocol difficult for you to do? And what do you, what is your self-care structure today? Hmm. I'm going to actually say, for me, it wasn't that hard because it's like, I don't want to die. I'm not ready to die. You know, it's like, that's the choice. And I was like, okay, really? Or do I, you know, am I willing to, you know, tube feed sardines? Am I willing to, you know, take in, you know, 57 or 63 capsules a day um, with the idea at, you know, at 60 years old, dying. My father died of, of, you know, stage four cancer when he was 60 years old, you know, and that was, you know, 25 years ago. Um, uh, you know, I don't want that. Uh, you know, so was it hard? Mm, it wasn't, yeah. you know, easy, but it was, it was not, I, I've done way harder things yeah. <laughs> you know, for me. Um, I mean, you got it. Going, going, going to going to the Cleveland Clinic, you know, every you know three weeks a month from home for three years. That was harder. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, this say, you know, I was able to move through it. And then, you know, what's my my self-care? You know, we didn't get into all the aspects around uh, you know, recognizing and connecting to nature and improving heart rate variability and mm. looking at that and love to be able to talk about those things because you know that that connects back to the you know the the training from the indigenous elders that i have about creating about connecting to the the divine natural world and that is necessary and so that my self-care process is one of, of being able to um, reflect spend time in nature care for myself not overdo it and and be able to really listen you know to what's happening in the world and i would say that's hard actually it's easy to fall back into old patterns mm. you know um you know i, I you, you and i have not talked about this directly but like when when COVID hit and and you know i you recognized and was asked to really step into uh, help yeah. us understand this and, mm -hmm. and you did the same thing like that was like okay now i'm focusing not on myself at all and yeah and in caring for others i do that but i found myself all of a sudden spending 40 to 50 hours a week on covid and where was i taking care of myself i lost it i forgot yeah. again and so I had to remember, I had to come back and remember, oh no, I need to take care of myself because this is a long game. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, uh, you yeah, know, so that's the journey that I continue to be on. Wow. And it, 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 there's a lot of very shiny objects in our field. <laughs> there's a lot. To <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's just a lot to just there's just a lot to do and 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 you know you're so passionate and engaged i i can see and and having you know having a hard stop like to engage in self-care uh, it's it takes a certain kind of a discipline um but i I don't, you know, I saw you right, actually, I saw you right before COVID. I saw you in February, and of course, you were mm -hmm. glowing, and you just had this crowd around you, like, the whole time, practically. I got to connect with you a little bit, but because you were just this, you know, because the transformation of what you had, you know, the, the metamorphosis of your journey was just evident in everything, you know, and just every. It's just everything about you. So I'm, I'm really glad that I got to be with you, even if it was just sort of in the wave of your energy mm. as you passed by. I know I got to give you a hug and we got to chat. Oh, I'm teasing yeah. you, but I know. But and it's, you know, I wouldn't wish this on anyone, and it's been one of the biggest blessings in my life. You know, it's like it's you can't you can't see that going into it on the front end, you know. But we're all asked to we have challenges in our life and we have struggles and it's not as though we're trying to avoid the struggle it's how we move through the struggles that defines who we are and how we how we relate and connect in the world and that's that's the opportunity and you know functional medicine has sort of been um you know um you know cast on the anvil of, of adversity and it and there's something really here and it continues to be shown that that the ways in which we approach with thoughtfulness with open hearts with looking at science and with working to personalize the approach in a way that that looks at a big picture view at a systems approach to individuals whatever disease they have is a way that is of benefit and you and i are both blessed you know to be on this on this curve where we get to share that with people mm. and and the people who come to see us are people who are saying i'm not satisfied with the way it's been offered so far do you have something else to be able to give and it doesn't mean that it's going to apply for everyone in every circumstance but in those patients who are looking for transformation and change and support on that journey 
you know, that's what our roles are. And we have this incredible opportunity to be able to do that. And uh, um, I'm just deeply appreciative of that. I'm appreciative of the, you know, the mentors that both you and I have had, whether, you know, it's, it's Richard or Andy or Jeff or David or Michael or Mark and Sid and Leo and, you know, many others along the way. And we continue to grow and learn. Yeah. Well, Dr. Patrick Hannaway, I just, I love you. <laughs> I adore you. You're an inspiration. You are a bright light. Your honesty, your willingness to just give the, this podcast is just, it's just been really, really fabulous. And I just, I look forward to putting it out there into the world. I think it's going to be quite meaningful for clinicians and just regular people as well. Mm, um, thank you. You're a, you're a bright light. And so mm. thank you. Well, I have one, one request. Yes. And that is give Queen Isabella a big hug. <laughs> I will indeed. <laughs> oh my God. I will indeed. And then I'll, I'll send you a couple of pics. Okay. Big hug Great. to you. Thank you so you much. Too. Thank you, Karen. And that wraps up another amazing conversation with a great mind in functional medicine. I am so glad that you could join me. None of this would be possible through the years without our generous, wonderful sponsors, including Integrative Therapeutics, Metagenics, and Biotics. These are companies that I trust and I use with my patients every single day. Visit them at integrativepro.com, bioticsresearch.com, and metagenics.com. Please tell them that I sent you and thank them for making new frontiers in functional medicine possible. And one more thing, leave a review and a thumbs up on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you're hearing my voice. Um, these kind of comments will promote new frontiers in functional medicine, getting the word on functional medicine out there to the greater community. And for that, I thank you. Until next time.